And I think for people to recognize like motivation is always going to involve some other aspect that we find aversive, uncomfortable, all of those things we would like to avoid. Hence why, you know, we're distracted away from what we'd like to do. And this is why I I sort of work with people and try to help them recognize desire, right? What we're talking about with motivation, like, well, how bad do you want it? And not like you have to be like, oh, like so gritty. I, I want to get this thing so bad. But like, where is your desire alongside the discomfort? Bandwidth for Change Log is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Change Log because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Change Log. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. If you have specific questions or concerns, we encourage you to consult a health professional in your local area. From Changelog Media, this is Brain Science, a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and what it means to be human. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to transform our lives? I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Dr. Marielle Reese. Mariel, today is different. We're doing a book review slash embedded book. Hey, we read a book, and that book is informing our conversation. This is less book review and just more like discussion around the topics of the book. The book we're talking about is called Indistractable, and it is by Near Isle and Julie Lee. And the subtitle really sells the book, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to be able to hone their attention better so that they're less distracted, right? By either what's going on inside or what's going on outside. Yeah. And this is not a book review. Nir, if you're listening to this, if ever you listen to this, hey, if you know Nir, recommend this podcast, (laughs) which may just be fodder for him because, hey, he wrote the book. But, you know, we're not reviewing the book. We're just pulling out some of the best parts we thought were really informative because we've been talking about distraction. We've been talking about procrastination. We've been talking about, you know, optimizing, you know, what are you optimizing for? Spending your time wisely, talking about the way social relationships play into our overall health and life and physical health and fitness, you know, and I think this book is a great example of like identifying, you know, what motivates us, what distraction is, how it plays a role. He's got some cool stories in there, but I mean, this is such a great book. So if you're listening to this thinking that was on my bookshelf or I want to read it sometime, pick it up, start reading it today. And learn what distraction is in your life. For me, you know, the biggest thing I took away was like how distraction originates from this need to escape. And the thing you're escaping from is psychological discomfort. Yep. And that's just crazy to think like the reason I'm distracted, the reason why, you know, I can't get things done or in certain areas as I examine my life is like, well, I'm distracted and I'm trying to escape from physical or mental pain that is associated with that thing, whatever it is. And it's all about identifying those things. Name it to tame, it comes to play here. And, you know, a lot of this, what I loved about the book is that a lot of it is like summarization of the things we've been really camping out on for a while now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting being in the field of psychology and providing, you know, psychotherapy, helping people change their lives, change themselves, 
for the better. I had a professor when I was in graduate school who talked a lot about sort of the business format in this field. And it struck me so much at that time because he said, look, it's not other psychologists or professionals that are your competition. He said, it's everything else that makes people feel good. For the amount that they could spend on getting treatment psychologically, they could buy a new car. They could go on a vacation. They could do a, a myriad of other things that would provide alternative benefits. Yeah. Isn't that That's crazy? So true. Right? I hadn't considered that. That would, that would be your competition. I would think like maybe the competition was, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Like competition is like how I might spend my money to feel better. Right. Because the whole point with mental health therapy and the kind of things that psychologists do for their patients is, you know, we've talked about this before, thinking differently, seeing your problems differently from different angles. I'd never really considered that my choice would be therapy or feeling better by buying a car or. Right. But think of all these other things that distract you away from the pain that you're feeling. So yeah. people come to me out of this place of of pain of like, I don't know what to do. I've gotten to, you know, the end of my rope. I've exhausted all the skills, strategies, things I've known, and usually even tried other yeah. things that haven't provided the dividends that they desire. So it's sort of like, here's the last ditch effort. But this is also why I tell people when I start working with them that my goal is ultimately to work myself out of a job. Because some people will think, well, they just want you to keep coming. And it's like, no, 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 no. If, if you're actually doing the work, which ironically involves pain, right? Yeah. The goal is that you would have less pain because you've been able to work through the things that were causing the pain. So you feel different, i.e. happier, more content, more fulfilled, more connected. So one of my favorite takeaways or things from this book is really we talk so much about application, right? It doesn't just knowledge in and of itself isn't enough, but rather what do you need to do in terms of action? And the way in which the author writes this is so good for just like little nuggets, not just, hey, here's the little data or explanation relative to why you're getting distracted, but one, here's a mental framework to help you sort of keep it in picture or in mind as you're trying to do differently. And here's a little nugget that you could do differently. So you don't necessarily even have to read the book in one file swoop. Like you could just sit down and read, you know, one section or one part as the book is broken up into five different parts. And then one really cool thing that we'll come back to at the end is that he includes actually a book discussion at the end. So if you wanted to actually get a crew of people, i.e. get connected differently, and have conversations around how you could implement some of these things, it's already templated for you. I love that so much really about books that uh, that you don't have to read linearly. Mm-hmm. You know, to get chapter five, you have to read chapter three. I mean, that makes sense in, you know, let's say a novel or something like that or a storybook or something like that. It totally makes sense, right? I mean, obviously – you need to follow along with the story. But in this case, like if you just want to understand, you know, how you can make time for traction, you could just jump into part two and mm-hmm. dive into some of the chapters there, you know, and kind of use that as a guide point. And so like, honestly, I haven't read the whole book. Mm-hmm. I've read parts of the book. So there was one part of the book like, Hey, if you want to just jump ahead to this part to skip these areas, cause you got these down or you just want to like go right to doing, I went right to doing. So I went to chapter five, you know, how to make your workplace indistractable. And I was like, I want to go right to the doing part of things because I'm a doer. I learn by doing. And so I did that. 
So, but I still did go back and read some of the chapters and, uh, and take notes and stuff like that. But I love when you can just jump into chapters that peek out at you and read those and get something from them. Yeah. So he starts out by noticing that distractions will always exist, but managing them is our responsibility. Right. Like if you're distracted by your phone, that might help you. Yeah. But it's not going to cure the distraction forever. It may be a distracting point and something you use, you know, to, I guess, perpetuate your distraction, the discomfort you're, you're feeling there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just putting your phone away or doing a detox, mm-hmm. you always come back to it. It's going to exist. So it's something deeper that the root cause is beyond just simply, oh, this shiny device in my pocket buzzing or whatever. It's the root cause is much deeper. Right. I mean, I think about how many times I sit down at my computer to do work and then I have these like pop-up thoughts, right? Like, oh, I forgot to do this thing. Let me check that super quick. Right. And like, oh, because I'm at my computer. So I have all of this access at my fingertips and nothing else to sort of provide constraints. So it's like, unless I do anything sort of deliberate, like set a timer and see how fast I can get this work done, (laughs) right? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm prone to deviate away because it's like, oh, I'm just going to close that file tab in my brain. Oh, let me close that one too. And before I know it, you know, I'm just clicking away, trying to somewhat get things off my plate. But I mean, I'm just going on little tangents left and right. And before I know it, I've sat at my desk at my computer for an hour and I didn't get the work done that I needed. Some of that comes down to prioritization and making lists and, you know, disciplines that bring you into those, but there's always triggers. And we've said before, be your own scientist, right? So be your own scientist in this case might be become aware. We say this word a lot too. Awareness is key. Mm-hmm. Become aware of the, the triggers that are drawing you away from or prompting you from. He talks about them in the book as internal or external goes much deeper. But, you know, The advice always is like be your own scientist. So if you sit down like Muriel did in her example at your desk and you get lost for an hour, well, what's the trigger there? And maybe, you know, for the trigger for you might be you really didn't want to do the work in the first place. How'd you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's the case for almost everybody. So it's a universal answer. Right. I didn't want to do the work anyways, or it was too painful. I didn't want to deal with that. But that's where I come back to the whole thing for me. Like the one kind of like if I read this book for one thing, it was for this distractions originate from the need to escape psychological discomfort. Like for me, that connection is so profound, so profound Mm -hmm. because that tells me that my phone isn't the problem. Right. That tells me it's a much deeper issue. Anytime I'm a scientist and I'm investigating my triggers or the different things that are happening and taking note of those things, because that psychological discomfort is not stemming from my phone. It's stemming from other things to escape from. The the key word there is escape. Yep. Yeah, so I love how he talks about and differentiates traction from distraction. And so he identifies traction coming from the Latin trahiri word, meaning to draw or pull. So traction refers to the actions that draw us towards the life we want. Right. And I always think about that, like, you know, tires, like having traction. Right. And if you think about like sort of tires that get stuck in mud, like they can't quite get the traction to move anywhere or go anywhere you want. But that's what distraction, on the other hand, is, is where it's derived from that same root word, but drawing away of the mind. 
drawing away from the mind. So it's taking away, like my tires are just like kicking up mud and I'm not moving or getting any traction to move towards the place I want to go. Right. And that's why this is so, so frustrating, right? Because I can't really move the way I want to. Well, listen, when I get in my car and I push the pedal for gas and the car doesn't move, I get frustrated because that's what's supposed to happen. When you push the button or flip the switch or turn the knob, the thing is supposed to work. Right. And that's what's happening here. The resulting action is either aligned with your broader intention. So if you have like, what am I optimizing for? And you're taking action. It's either traction going towards the thing you're trying to achieve or misaligned and it's distraction taking you away from what you're trying to achieve. Right. So it just sort of makes me curious then to think about like, well, what is your goal? And, you know, is it worth it, right, to endure whatever pain sort of comes alongside or with that goal to endure it to get there? Yeah. Right? And that's hard because so much I think about relative to exercise and working out and like building strength, right? Because it's hard and it doesn't matter how many times you do it. Like it's always hard in some way or another. And you're like, this should be easy. Like the gas pedal should make me go. And yet it doesn't. And so it reminds me like, oh, wait, this is part of how it goes. Whenever I'm trying to move towards a goal, there's always obstacles or distractions. And therefore, I have to be more deliberate and sort of aware, so to speak, so that I'm going, oh, wait, you know what's happening right now, Marielle. Right. You know, you actually want to get this done because when this is done, you get to do these other things that you really do enjoy. Or this is going to allow or free up other time for you to spend elsewhere. So let's get this gig through. Mm. I, too, also like the framework that this operates or gives us traction or distraction. Mm-hmm. That is kind of keying off of the name entertainment. Like if you don't have, so as you're listening to this thinking like it's either traction or distraction. Mm-hmm. Now you have a mental framework to operate from when it comes to distraction. It's like, that's it. It's either traction or distraction. Yep. And so I love how he puts this. He says, time management is pain management. Isn't that so true? Yeah. Right? Because if I can manage my time, I manage, you know, the discomfort that I feel. He goes into and identifies four psychological factors relative to pain, right? Because if we acknowledge that distraction is always this unhealthy escape from reality, right? Mm -hmm. This escape from pain. He says these tend to be boredom, the negativity bias, rumination, and what he references as hedonic adaptation, otherwise known as the tendency to quickly return to a baseline level of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. I want to get through this so that I feel better. Yeah. Yesterday. (laughs) Right? The one that resonated with me in that list was rumination. Yeah. Which is our tendency to keep thinking about bad experiences. Or if you've ever chewed on something, this is quoting from his book, if you've ever chewed on something in your mind that you did or that someone did to you or over something that you didn't have but you wanted it and you did that over and over and over again, unable to stop thinking about it, you just experience what's called rumination. Yeah. 
Like I do that. <laughs> I do that. Yeah. So this name entertainment thing, like that makes sense to me. So now when I'm like in those thoughts or if I'm, if I catch myself as the scientist gathering data, if I catch myself ruminating, I'm like, Adam, you're ruminating. This is not a healthy pattern for you to, to do. So in at least these things. Mm-hmm. So find a way to eject. That's my trigger is find a way to get out of that. Yeah. That thinking, that pattern thinking, or, or at least identifying it. Like, listen, you're ruminating out right now over these things that you can't control, you can't do, and it's just you can't stop thinking about it. You got to put eject. Right. So this is what I talk about a lot when working with patients is recognizing those kinds of, you know, ways of thinking or behaviors and going not just the awareness, but like, why is this going on for me? Like, what is a signal of ruminating to you? Like, Mm. is there something that you haven't dealt with or is there something that you're not settled with? And you're like, I need to go around this mulberry bush again and again so that I feel like at peace with it. Or is it like we've talked about in other episodes relative to perfectionism? Like, I don't want to put myself out there in that vulnerable way. So like, ooh, maybe if I do it this way or say it that way or X, Y, or Z, I can avoid critique or criticism. I mean, there can be a myriad of things, but this is why it's like, here's the top layer of the onion. Let me peel back another layer to the onion. So rumination Mm -hmm. is on the top, or we could even go distraction, rumination. And underneath that, like, what's under there? Can you lift up that rock and look? Yeah. What is it? (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) No, it could be so many different things. But that's why it's so valuable to investigate and examine in greater depth instead of just like getting upset with yourself of like, gosh, Adam, here you're doing it again. What's wrong with you? And yeah. now you're stuck sort of criticizing or condemning yourself for something that is, you know, very common, but it's just a signal or an indicator light of something else. Yeah. It is around the unsettled when I find myself doing it. And in all honesty, there's times when actually rumination can be positive because there's a variation of rumination that's where I'm examining a scenario, maybe an unsettled scenario, you know, whatever it might be. And I'm just like looking at all the different facets of what really happened to get a more clear perspective or maybe even a multifaceted perspective on whatever the series of events were, whatever the conversation was, whatever the scenario was. So there's, you know, positive things that can come from it. It's when it's uncontrollable, you know, yeah. The key word in his in his book says unstoppable. You can't stop. Yeah. That's where I think like that's where I'm like pump the brakes. Mm-hmm. Do what you say. What's going on here? Where is this originating from? And, you know, going back to time management being pain management in his book, he, I'm going to quote from his book. If distraction costs us time, then time management is pain management. Yes. Like <laughs> I'm trying to avoid pain here. You know, I want to use my time wisely and rumination isn't exactly always wise use of my time. Right. Yeah. Well, and so, right, both sides of the coin would be like looking at what's feeding the ruminating, but at the same time, looking at how can I set up some guardrails so that I'm not spending my time in that way so that it's less painful. What about motivation, though? I mean, like we're, we're all motivated by something. If we're optimizing for something, right, we want to go a direction for a reason. 
And in his book, he says, the drive to relieve discomfort is the root cause of all of our behavior, while everything else is a proximate cause. Now, we've said before, every choice you make is essentially not, not to die, right? Which would be discomfort. That's that's uncomfortable to die. Sure. So that means that all of our choices essentially take us to a path of comfort or discomfort. Yeah. Well, motivation is to have comfort. But I have to say, it's there's a myriad of things relative to that because our experiences or biases or ways in which we've been conditioned relative to comfort or discomfort is also a facet of that, right? I mean, who has the same pain mm-hmm. threshold or sort of motivation? Well, everybody's had different experiences. Everybody's got a different personality, genes, and on and on. And so recognizing that discomfort is a part of that, but that discomfort to some degree is learned, right? Like a sign if I believe. That's true. I mean, part of this too, having been, you know, in athletics throughout my childhood, it was being able to differentiate different kinds of pain, right? Like, am I hurt? Like, am I injured? Do I need to stop training? Or am I uncomfortable and this is unpleasant because I feel like I can't breathe because I'm pushing my body as far as it can go or my muscles, et cetera. So understanding the discomfort that I'm feeling doesn't mean I need to cease. It just means it's hard and uncomfortable. Yeah. I love the distinction about about pain, though. It's like, are you injured or are you just hurt? Yeah. Because if you're injured, you got to stop. You got to go get medical help. Yeah. But if you're hurt... You know, it's in many cases, it's psychological. So I I do like the drive here is like, you know, discomfort and comfort is learned and based on our bias. Sure. Right. And so what have you repeated and what have you sort of done over and over that tells you this is uncomfortable? And I would say that there's a lot of associations, right? right? Like if I'm looking at the way in which emotion and memory work together, By past experiences, my brain is going to be motivated differently because one thing was more unpleasant than another, right? I think I've shared this, but I remember when I was training, you know, and I was an adolescent at the time living in the desert climate, and we used to train beyond school hours during the summer. And so I would have trained for about four to five hours. And then before we could eat lunch, I had to go outside and run for a few laps in like 105 to 115 degree heat. And so I never enjoyed running for the longest time because the association was discomfort. I'm like, this sucks. I just want to eat. I've trained. I've depleted my energy stores. Like, I just want to chill out. But but I couldn't. couldn't. <laughs> and so, right, running in and of itself isn't a negative. But recognizing, okay, if I'm not right. prone or I, I don't necessarily want to run or be outside in that way, like, hey, it's likely relevant or relative to experiences I had in the past wherein I didn't like it. So now I've labeled that as discomfort or painful and now aversive, which I want to not feel. 
So maybe even another way of thinking of mm -hmm. distraction is looking at what we don't want to feel, right? Right. The opposite, yeah. We're talking motivation, like what motivates me? Well, making progress, feeling good, feeling like there's sort of more of what I want. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it happens a lot too. In, in many successful things, the one way to think about a framework to use is not what do you want to be, it's what do you not yeah. want to be. So in, in this case, what do you not want to feel? Sure. Right. If running, like I couldn't imagine running in the summertime here in Houston because like it's so humid. I think it was like 87 yesterday temperature wise. Right. But the humidity was so high that the weatherman said it, it was actually felt like it was near the hundreds because of like it was 87 degrees. But the mm -hmm. humidity took it way up there in terms of felt heat. So I'm not going to be motivated to go out there and run. And that, that's not pleasurable to me. That's not comfortable that to me. That is not comfortable. <laughs> that is discomfortable no. to me. So I'm going to avoid that. But the framework, the mental framework to consider, though, whether you're building something, whether you're making something, building a company, building a life, you know, defining your life, what you optimize for, identifying your values, what you want to go towards, what's valuable to you, is sometimes what do you not want to be? Sure. Versus what do you want to be? That might be easier to identify those things. Yeah. And I think for people to recognize like motivation is always going to involve some other aspect that we find aversive, uncomfortable, all of those things we would like to avoid. Hence why, you know, we're distracted away from what we'd like to do. And this is why I, I sort of work with people and try to help them recognize desire right? What we're talking about with motivation, like, well, how bad do you want it? And not like you have to be like, oh, like so gritty. I, I want to get this thing so bad. But like, where is your desire alongside the discomfort? Because I want that to be part of the equation as well, mm -hmm. that you recognize, hey, I still want this. I don't like this aspect of it, but I'm going to do this thing that is uncomfortable and aversive and, and work hard to get traction and minimize distraction because I really want to make headway towards my goals. Yeah. Well, the key there is goals. And to have goals, you have to have values. And so you have to understand what you actually value, which is is very difficult, I suppose. Like th there are some people who don't seem to have a way, will even self-admit, I don't seem to have a way career-wise trajectory. So they either need, you know, as we've said before, a tribe to uh, associate with. We can talk about the way that our relationships and social interactions play into our health and mental health and physical health, et cetera. But it comes down to finding out what it is that I value, you know, what it is that I see as valuable. So if time management is pain management and distraction is moving towards or away from discomfort, then that means I've got to identify the things that I value so that I can align my life and all the traction I want to go towards the things that I find valuable. Yeah, I loved this. In the book, Indistractable, he quotes Russ Harris, who is author of The Happiness Trap. He describes values as how we want to be, what we want to stand for, and how we want to relate to the world around us. 
And like we've talked about perspective a lot throughout our conversations, but that really is a sort of zooming out of the lens to see more panoramic, right? Like what is the broader stroke that I want to have for my life so that it literally sort of provides the guardrails or template for my choices and actions, right? Mm-hmm. I love the quote or the I love the question you have here in the notes. What is keeping you from your <laughs> yeah. top speed? I love that. Like that's what you're talking about. Here, these yeah. guardrails, these fences, these containers, helping you to to find this path. It goes on to say a value is like a guiding star. It's the fixed point we use to help us navigate our life choices. And so recognizing not just what we want to do, but like why we're gonna do it. Like you know, why did I go to school for as long as I did? Because there is a fair amount of discomfort relative to that process and even after that. But I care about people. It was yeah. something I really wanted to learn about. And so no amount of sort of discomfort like deterred me along the way, even when I understood sort of the lower levels of the base levels of the onion that drove me to, you know, pursue this line of work. Yeah. And I really think that's what helps so many of us in whatever we're doing, right? If we can go, well, do I really care about this? Is it like relative to my career, my relationships, where I live, who I surround myself with? Like, why? Why are you doing that? Yeah. That's something that happened to me over the weekend, actually. I was going to do something Without any context, just I'll just be very vague. So forgive the vagueness. But I had something on my mind that was very – I had a lot of passion involved in it and a lot of brain space involved in it. And I was like stuck on this thing. I'm like, but why? Why am I going to do this thing? Why am I going to say this thing to this person or share this insight with this person? Do I care? And back to that, what am I optimizing for? Well, this is a weekend my weekends are 100% play with my family. You know, play eight, sleep eight. It's just more like play 12, sleep 12. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I don't sleep 12 on the weekends, but just trying to do some quick division there on, on 24 hours. But, you know, there's definitely no work on the weekends. So I got to divide my time otherwise. And that, I didn't want to include that in my time. But I thought about it and I eventually did it. But I had to gut check. Why are you right? doing this? Why does it matter to you? Why do you care? Do you right? care? Why was the key question there? Why? And I think when you know your why. Yeah. But what you did is in that moment, you zoomed out and you were able to ask yourself that yeah. fundamental question, why? And then go, am I going to make time for this? Because do I or don't I value this thing? Well, back to this, time management is pain management. Mm -hmm. If I place my time in that, Sure, I may not endure actual <laughs> literal pain, but as a as a variation of that, well, maybe the pain is taking away from the amount of time I dedicate to family time on my weekend. So that is painful to me to get 10 years down the road and say that one weekend I missed the coolest moment of my newest son's life. Dude's sitting up now. I could have missed him sitting up for the first time like on his own. He's a baby. Yeah. Six months old. Yeah. Right. I could have missed that moment. If I put my time elsewhere, and sure, it may be a small thing or whatever, but it's these trade-offs we make in our life, right? 
Yep. And we start doing things we don't actually care about. And you get so far down the line, it's Marielle back at her computer for the first hour wasting <laughs> right. time. And there's excuses, sure, sure. But, you know, I'm just using that as an example. But, like, that's what we do. We wake up a time frame later. It could be sometimes years later. Right. What was I doing? Did I really care? Yeah. Why? Could I ask why earlier? Yeah. Should have asked why earlier. Am I should have been somebody <laughs> there? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Another sort of analogy to think about is like an anchor and that our values really anchor us, right? So we don't drift too far by the things like pop-ups that distract us, right? You know, I think about this like with my yes. kids when they're sort of on technology more now than they've ever been with changing times. And, you know, they're so distracted by the pop-ups on the other side. And I'm like, stop looking at those things. But like I've learned to train my mind to sort of filter out things that aren't relevant to where I'm trying to go or what information I'm trying to capture, right? So I'm like, I'm here to do a task to finish this assignment, and I don't want to be deterred by whatever ads you're trying to sell me right now. But, you know, the less mature right. mind and the, you know, brain that's still in process is sort of like, well, I'm curious about that. What about this? And so- you know, when we make time, we really, I love the way that this um, philosopher, uh, there was a Stoic philosopher, Heracles, oh, <laughs> what word was that? Heracles? Is that how you say it? He, <laughs> I don't know how to say that, honestly. I'd, I'd he talked too. about this interconnected nature of our lives with concentric circles. So thinking about, you know, the smaller circle embedded in a bigger circle and then a larger circle, et cetera. And he put the mind and body at that center like yourself. You have to start by managing like you value yourself, followed by the broader circle of your close family and extended family and then your tribe and then other inhabitants of like your community finishing with the rest of humanity. And you can put work, you know, in that broader circle as well so that you go, I'm valuing mm -hmm. myself. And this is why like – Things go off kilter. I mean, I see this a lot. Like, there's always demands for work, right? I mean, I think that's part of the nature. It's, it's continuous. Part of what I appreciated about school was, like, I could get to the end, and I was like, I'm done. It's completed, and there's a clear finishing point. Whereas work, it's like it's unrelenting. Right. So it's managing or putting those guardrails up to go, I'm not going to respond to things. I'm going to set up some ways that can keep me more boxed in relative to when I'm available, who I'm with, and what my time is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's controlling the, you know, the inputs, not the outcomes. In his book, he's got similar concentric circles, which is where you're framing this from, where it's like you're in the middle there, right? It's life domains as described in the book, life domains. You got concentric circles. You got you in the middle. You got relationships. And you got work. And I can't help but go back to essentialism because that chapter stood out to me so well. Protect the asset. You're not you unless you're you. Right. And while he may have talked about sleep in a couple of particulars, it's still like this idea of life domains, protecting the asset. Like if you don't take care of you, that means mentally, right. physically, relationally, in all these ways, you will not be the you you need to be. For the you, you need to be for others. I don't know, but you know what I mean? Like, you got to be you. Yeah. People like you for you. And if you're not you, 
I'm going to stop saying you. <laughs> right? But I like to think of so many of these things relative to management. And I don't like the word control because we don't have full charge or full control over ourselves or our lives. And that's what this gets at of going, I can only manage sort of what I'm doing. Like, what have I got? What's in front of me today? What are the most essential tasks? What am I trying to optimize around? And then, like, it helps me also emotionally navigate the outcomes of going, you know what? I didn't get to do that other professional thing I wanted to do or help out in my community in this way because it meant I had to take, I had to change up those values so that I could allot my time over in this way. And that that really wasn't what I cared most about. So there's so much more a way in which managing our distraction or getting traction involves being deliberate, not just haphazardly or like today or occasionally, but repeatedly over time, over and over again. I love at the end when he's talking about some of these tools, right? And one of the things he talks about is fun and play. If we've talked about motivation and distraction, right? Like mm-hmm. these are actually tools we can use to keep us focused. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, fun and, and comfort are associated, right? I mean, if I'm comfortable, I'm having fun to some degree. So I would say, yeah, fun and play, right? And plus we know that play is is an activity you can get lost in. The state of flow comes into play there. You know, you can learn easier in play. There's lots of things that happen in, in the fun and play scenarios. Yeah. So I love it. Ian Bogust is a professor of interactive computer at Georgia Institute of Technology. And he's written actually a number of books relative to challenging and changing this way in which we think about fun and play. And he writes, fun is the aftermath of deliberately manipulating a familiar situation in a new way. Let me say that again. Fun is the aftermath or is the effect of deliberately manipulating a familiar situation in a new way. You want to focus on the task itself and that you are paying so much close attention that you find new challenges you hadn't seen before and that these new challenges give us that novelty to keep our attention when we're tempted to be distracted. I have a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah, I've been playing, so I have a Nintendo Switch, and I'm not much of a gamer. I swear I'm not. I play maybe one or two games, almost never. I'm not much of a gamer. I do like games, though. (laughs) But I've been playing Donkey Kong. And if you've played Donkey Kong on Nintendo Switch or even the Wii U, like, it's an awesome game. I've beat the game end to end, and now I've unlocked hard mode. And so this aspect of, like, familiar, I'm replaying the whole game again. In hard mode because while, hey, it's familiar and now I'm seeing new challenges because I only have one hit point. I can't, you know, get hurt essentially or I end that try. But it's such a cool thing to like think of that as like this aspect of fun being the familiar and the fun kind of tying into deliberately manipulating this familiar situations in new ways. And that's it may not be an on point example. But that's what I saw for me. Like the game is more fun now because I've unlocked hard mode and and now in hard mode, I can go back and replay the game. It's familiar, but see new things and new challenges in the game that I hadn't previously seen. That's awesome. That's so cool. 
Have you heard of this other conference too? Did you know that there's a boring conference? <laughs> there is. No. <laughs> I would be so bored. I learned about this years ago. I forget what other book I'd been reading, but yes, like people actually go and investigate the sort of mundane, ordinary, obvious things that you might see as sort of trivial or pointless, but like become fascinating when you look deeper. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so fun? I should have actually known about this, and I'm sad I didn't because that's kind of what the book, The Design of Everything's, that book that most designers have read or should have on their bookshelf at some point in their life, is like you're examining the design of a chair, right? Everyday, boring objects. Now, there's so many different designs for chairs. The design of a tea kettle, you know, or a teapot. Like, there's so many different ways you can do that, but it's kind of boring, right? But you can really be very creative, I suppose. Like, the designer behind Braun, I forget his name at the moment, but we'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. But designing these simple things, these mundane things, boring things for that matter, can be quite fun. And I should have known about this conference because that reminds me of the design of everyday, everyday things. The point was, like, right. these are everyday items. How do you design them differently? How do you look at them differently? I just love this because the cure for boredom is curiosity. And there's not a cure for curiosity. And this is what we talk a lot about and what I want people to do, generally speaking, is be curious about themselves, others, and their world. Because mm -hmm. when we stop taking things at just face value, surface level, you know, we're able to discover so much more dimension and joy and good feelings and pleasure, right? Right. One last thing that he talks about as an idea for, you know, distraction is creating a fun jar, right? And so yeah, he puts like this, this in the lane relative to parenting and sort of he wanted to be an involved dad, right? So he created this fun jar wherein he created five to 10 activities and were put in that jar so that when it was time to spend, like, again, he scheduled the time because he valued that time with his daughter. And then they could pull something out from this fun jar so that they already had an idea. Yeah, you know, There's so many tentacles to that because it gives the child, if this is a scenario, father, mother, child scenario of, you know, activities together and scheduling that time and and being intentional with it is like the kid, the child gets some control too, right? They're predetermined opportunities and they're like five to 10 really fun activities you do together, but the kid gets to pull it out and have it part of the choice. You know, they, they get to choose what goes in it. There's so many like life lessons in this than just simply the fun jar itself alone. But yeah, for sure. This fun jar is like, I'm, I'm going to do this. We kind of do it in a way. But we didn't like make it a little jar, but I think making it a little jar, writing the things on there with your child and, and even that being an activity, they get to write some out, they get to practice their handwriting or whatever it might be and making it fun. Maybe, maybe you color them, you design them, but like make it your own. But like this idea is so cool. Right. And so this goes back to even managing those inputs, right? So that at the end of a day, you might be really tired and like it would seem better to just lay on the sofa or watch a movie together or whatever. However... It's like pre-planned, there's guardrails already in place, and then 
you know, here's the thing. You go and do it and you discover that like while you might have been tired or bored or whatever, you actually had fun and created memories with, in this case, his daughter, you know, to last. Yeah. It just shows you that living the life, you know, summarizing chapter one, basically, living the life you want to live requires not only doing the things that are right, but avoiding the wrong things. And I think that it takes intention and a lot of things to sort of understand and define that. But this jar and these kinds of things, like it's the right thing to do with your kids. It's a fun thing to do with your kids. But living that life you want to live, you got to identify not just the right things, but identify the wrong things you don't want to do so that you can use your time wisely. Yeah. That's why I think this book is just super encouraging and going, look, distractions aren't in and of themselves villains or bad, right? But rather looking at where do you want to go and what's important to you and then do the things that you're spending your time doing take you closer to or farther from the things you value. Because, you know, this is, I mean, we go through different life stages, right? And things that we're focused on, generally speaking, as a kid are different than our 20s, different than our 30s and 40s, and different from 50s and 70s, right? But generally speaking, I think when people get, you know, further on in life, they're doing more reflecting. And they're looking back and go, did I build what I wanted to build? And so to start that process sooner and look at going, here's what I was optimizing for, and this is why I made those choices, it helps me reconcile a lot in looking back to go, you know what, I didn't have this opportunity or this thing didn't come to pass. And going, yeah, but I wasn't really vested there. I was vesting over here, and that really resonated with me at the time that I had to make those decisions. And I did get those things. Mm -hmm. In managing our attention, it is about managing pressures, and there's always going to be pressure. Pressure from the inside relative to our expectations, goals, desires, and pressures from the outside and what's coming in and what, you know, needs to be done or what everybody else is doing. But if you can start by going, how can I look at the things that I value? And let me put those, like you could even do an activity where you just brainstorm in those circles and go, what's important to me? Like, how could I go about managing myself differently? Like, what's one thing I want to do better at? You know, maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's managing my physical body. Maybe it's, you know, creating other relationships because I don't have those things because I recently moved or something else changed. But look at each of those circles and go, can I articulate what I value? And if you don't know yet, that's okay too. Like, go try some things on. Go looking so that you can begin to examine the direction you're headed, and then evaluate whether the things you're doing, the ways in which you're tracking your time are moving you towards that or away from it. That's how you get to have the life you want to live. Let us know in the comments what you think about this episode. Hey, distractions are out there. Do what you can to protect yourself. Get this book, read it if you haven't yet. If you have, reach out and say hello. Let us know what you think about it. 
Let us know what observations you have about the book. We'd love to hear them. Let us know at changelaw.com slash brain science slash 27. This is episode 27. If this is your first time listening to Brain Science, hey, welcome. Thank you. Glad to have you here. You can subscribe to the show at changelog.com slash brain science. We're on all the podcast things, so subscribe where you want to. And if you're interested in directly supporting this show and making it possible, you can become a Changelog Plus Plus member. Learn more at changelog.com slash plus plus. And of course, huge thanks to our partners who get it fastly, Linode and Rollbar. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all those awesome beats for us. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Thank you.